We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59, the message I call the Lord, then the Lord saw it. Then the Lord saw it. And you'll see that in our text as we read it. Isaiah 59, 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far off. For truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it. And it displeased him. That there was no justice. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. Isaiah 59 is a famous passage. We have alluded to it often over the years uh, in our teaching ministry here at Faith Baptist. Uh, Isaiah was prophesying long ago. And he was prophesying to the ancient nation of Israel. And he speaks, as we would expect, very, very directly, very pointedly, to the issues and the problems that were facing them so long ago. Truth is fallen in the streets and truth fails. Truth is fallen. Truth fails. As a result, there was no fairness, no justice, no equity in the land. You might have seen someone over the last few months carrying a sign, uh, uh, maybe even shouting it, uh, saying, no justice, no peace. But if God were to write that, his would say, no truth, no justice. No truth, no justice. Because human justice is paired inseparably with divine truth. If people turn away from God's truth, there will be no justice. And yes, we'll see as we read on in the text, there'll be no peace. Those who try to do right in such a situation become a prey, a victim. For those who are living in lawlessness with impunity, with no fear of anything happening to them or anything going on. That is what happens when truth falls in the street and justice is forsaken. What's it like? What's it look like then when you live in such a nation, a nation where truth has fallen where truth has failed. Verse 9. Therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears. And moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. 
You might remember this is the same Isaiah who in Isaiah chapter 6 when he received his divine calling from God confessed the sins of his nation, not just of himself. When he said that I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And he confessed his own sin as well as the sins of his nation. And he continues to do that here in this passage. He said, we know our sins. We know our iniquities. We know all too well, Isaiah was saying, what is going on in our nation. And they've left us groping in the darkness like a blind man trying to feel our way along, not knowing which way to go, not having any clue really about what to do or even how to do it. That's what it looks like. We're left groaning like a, uh, like a bear, growl, growling like a bear, and groaning like a dove. He said, we're like dead men in desolate places. That's a, a body left out uh, with no one to mourn it. It just died all alone. Part of this chapter will make its way all the way into the New Testament. In Romans chapter 3, as Paul begins to describe uh, his indictment of humanity and the universal need of all men for the gospel. For all have sinned, he said, and said in some, come short of the glory of God. And he quoted from this very passage, Isaiah 59, before he made that assessment. Verse 7, their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whatever takes that way shall not know peace. What's it look like? A nation where truth has fallen in the streets and where truth fails. Make no mistake, when Isaiah is talking about truth failing, he does not mean that truth has somehow been overcome by wickedness. That's not what he's saying. Truth fails like a well that fails or like a spring that fails. You go there for the water and it's just not there anymore. Uh, the water can't be found. That's what he's saying. Truth cannot be found. Truth is fallen in the streets. Truth cannot be found. The big question for us is how does this happen in Israel? How does this happen in a nation that was founded upon the Word of God? How does this happen in a nation dedicated itself to God? How does this happen in a land where people know God and know the truth of God? How did it happen in Israel? How has it happened in America? We, in God we trust. We, one nation under God. How's it happened? I'm going to present quite a few scriptures to you today without a whole lot of comment because the scripture speaks for itself. It does a marvelous job of doing that. Uh, but I do have some rather lengthy readings I'm going to share with you along the way in association with this idea, truth is fallen in the streets. But then the Lord saw it. How does truth fall and fail? How does it happen? Pick up another passage from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek in her open places. Now, this is God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. Run through the streets and look. If you can find a man, 
If there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You've consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They've made their faces harder than rock. They've refused to return. And Jeremiah speaks. Therefore I said, well, surely these are poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Do you remember when God promised to spare Sodom and Gomorrah if he could find ten? He promised to spare Jerusalem for one. One. Jeremiah, you go and look in the streets of Jerusalem and find one. Find a man who is seeking after my truth and who is executing judgment. That is, who is living by it and living in a way that is fair. You find me a man and I'll spare the city. Well, Jeremiah got busy, of course, and he started out in the streets. Surely there'd be some people out there, somebody, but there among all the poor and the uneducated, he didn't find anybody. And he said, well, you know, these folks, they don't know the Bible. They don't know God's Word. So let me go up to the great man, and maybe I can find somebody there among all the leaders of the nation. But he said, no, they have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. They have thrown off abandoned the truth of God. Now God said to Jeremiah, don't be fooled by those who talk about me. <laughs> they swear by me. They use my name a lot. We might be familiar with a nation that swears, uses God's name to swear <laughs> a lot. We might be familiar with that. Don't be impressed just because they use my name to swear or because they use my name. No, he says, they don't believe in me at all. But if I can find one, just one that stands for truth and is living for me. You see, the first step then to a nation that allows truth to fall in the streets and truth to fail is when men abandon the truth of God. John 3, 19, this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Paul would speak about the same thing, Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature, creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. How does truth fall in the streets? Men abandon it. They abandon it because they prefer the darkness. Because their sins are in direct opposition to what God's Word says. The second step then to a fallen, failing truth is that men will avoid the truth. Romans 1.28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. 
It was not their preference. They did not want it. So not only did they first abandon it, but then they avoided it. Whenever it did surface, whenever it got around, they, they turned away from it and got away from it. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And because of that, God gave them up. Remember that God's first judgment against this kind of sin is more sin. When men don't want God, he gives them a life without God. So what does that look like? Well, he goes on in Romans chapter 1 and describes their sexual immorality, their envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil minds, gossip, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. He wraps up with the four uns, I call them, undiscerning, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. This bunch talks a lot about tolerance, but they sure don't practice it, do they? Unmerciful. Men first abandon the truth, and then they avoid the truth. They don't like it. Then they attack it. They attack the truth. That's what's being pictured in Isaiah chapter 59 when truth has fallen in the street. Why? Because it's been attacked. It's been put down. This is nowhere more evident in the life of Jesus who described himself as the way, the truth, the truth. Truth has a name. His name is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. But as he faced his opposition in John chapter 8 and verse 44, he said, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now, Paul would go on and describe that what was happening in Israel is very much what's happening in America today, and that is very simply, simply defined. We are experiencing a full-on attack against the truth by none other than the devil himself. If it seems to you as you look at this orchestrated attack that seems to be going on all over the world and you say, you know, somebody has to be pulling the strings and all kinds of theories are being published about that. Well, it's the billionaires. Well, it's the Chinese. Well, it's the Russians, of course. Well, it's the Democrats. Well, it's the liberals. Well, it's the Republicans. Well, it's the conservatives. Let me tell you who it is. It is the devil himself. That's who it is. The devil is the one who's pulling the strings. He's the only one who has the resources and the intelligence and the years of experience to be able to pull off something like this on a global scale the way he's doing it. We need to stop thinking about people. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. We need to understand, folks, we don't fight people. We fight for people. That's our enemy. We fight the devil for people. And he is the one who is doing all of this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 warns about the coming of the lawless one. And it is according with the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now this passage is set in the tribulation period. 
And it speaks of the coming of the Antichrist, the man of sin, the lawless one. I'm not trying to tell you today that the Antichrist is on the scene in the world today, although he could be. It would be real easy for me to be like a lot of other prophecy guys and prophecy preachers and make some connection between Antifa and Antichrist, but the only connection I can make between those is that they sound the same. Don't mean they are the same. But I can tell you one thing. I know where the spirit of lawlessness comes from. I know where the spirit of anarchy comes from. I know who pulls the strings on that. I know who loves that. I know who promotes that. I know who deceives people. I know who lies to people. I know who is out to murder people, who loves to breed anarchy and lawlessness and murder and death and deception. Folk, that stuff comes out of the pits of hell. And I believe if we'd walk around long enough on the streets of America, we could smell the sulfur. And you'd have to know a little bit about brimstone to understand that, I guess. Uh, sorry, that throws some of you a loop. You need to read the book of Revelation more. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, the devil is alive and active in our world today. And we need to understand that as God's people. We need to know who we're up against. We need to know what is happening. If you feel like somebody is pulling the strings all, on all this, you are right. We may never know all of the human agencies that are involved, but we do know the one who heads the whole thing up. And that's the devil himself. We've got to know that, people of God. We have to. Like the great art preacher R.G. Lee did in his famous sermon, Payday Someday, he, he looked at Ahab and Jezebel. He looked at him killing the righteous man Naboth and taking their land and, and as he played that out in that great sermon, he gets to that pivotal point and he asks his audience, where is God? Where is God? He said, where is God? Is he blind that he cannot see? Is he deaf that he cannot hear? Is he dumb that he cannot speak? Where is God? And I can say with the prophet Isaiah this morning, God sees what's happening in our world today. His eye is on it. He knows what is going on. And the question is then, how does God respond? And we can see that play out right here in Isaiah 59, verse 15. So truth falls, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and he was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands. He will fully repay. God's first response in this passage is one of wonder. And if we did not read this in the Word of God itself, we would think that such an expression was borderline blasphemy, but there it is. We can, I, I, I can't explain to you how God could look at anything and wonder. But He did. He wondered that there was no intercessor. 
He wondered that his people could watch truth fall in the streets and truth fail and yet there was none of his people stirring themselves up to lay hold upon him. There was none who were crying out to God, none who were calling for his help. As Vance Hebner said so long ago, the problem in America today is that the situation is desperate, but the saints aren't. God wondered that there was no intercessor. But when he saw that, God suited up. You want to think about something? Think about God putting on his military armor. That's what's described in this passage. God said, okay, I'll take care of this myself. According to their deeds, then accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. And I'm sure there's somebody around in America today who would look at that and say, well, you see, New York and California is going to get it. God's going to get them coastlands. Uh, remember, this was written to ancient Israel. The coastlands contained the enemies of God that were all around his people. And sometimes they were attacking them full front, but other times they were just infiltrating them with their idols, their false religion, and their people who, who tried to, uh, that they tried to lead astray. They, they sent in their money, money and their influence and their power to try to get people and influence in the land and use them to accomplish His purposes. But God saw the work of these coastlands all around Israel. He knew who His enemies were. He knew they were infiltrating that nation of Israel, he knew what they were doing. And God said, I'll take care of it. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. Jesus reminds us that we still face a world that is under the power of the wicked one. I didn't make that up, folks. Jesus, uh, the Bible says it very clearly. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's true in the New Testament times. It's still true today. So God promises then to work in righteous might against his enemies. And the promise then continues in verse 19 of Isaiah 59. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Yes, in those dark days I referred to before of Ahab and Jezebel, God had a man that he could say, Arise. He said to Elijah, arise, go to Jezreel, find Ahab, and you tell him this. God had a man to whom he could say, arise. But God still has a people to whom he says, arise today, folk, and that is you and I. He was saying it to Isaiah then, in those days, let them arise. I will raise up a standard against the enemy. When I see the enemy coming against my people, when, when this evil is sweeping across the land, I will raise up a standard against him. Paul tells us what that standard is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness 
is already at work. Remember we talked about this man of sin and the lawless one already in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Paul tells us here that he is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 tells us what that is. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth. So when the enemy is attacking the truth, God raises up people who will carry his standard, the standard of the truth. And what is that? It is the New Testament church. It is Faith Baptist and all the other churches that are preaching the truth of God and speaking the truth of God and proclaiming the gospel in this sin-cursed world. God works in righteous might, but we need to understand God works through his churches to raise a standard and to present a, ban a banner, a barrier against the spread of evil and that restrains the work of lawlessness. One more passage, verse 21 of Isaiah 59. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit is upon you and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants, descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. I've studied the covenants, but I, I'll have to uh, uh, just admit to you today, this, this covenant had, had kind of escaped my notice. I don't know how. I just never saw it in this light. Uh, maybe I'm just starting to experience those things. I say as you get older, you get to discover things all over again. I once knew it, but forgot it, and now I've learned it again. Whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But this, uh, this covenant and this passage just jumped out at me today because God says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. And the covenant says this, that when your word, when my word is in your mouth, that is, you know it. And when you teach it then to your children and to your children's children, that's your grandkids, then God says, my spirit will be with you. That is a covenant promise that God has made to his people. This is how he restrains the work of the lawless one. This is how he works against those who are determined to see the truth falls in the streets. He uses people, his people, you and I, his churches, to continue to speak the truth to our children and to our grandchildren. There would be few in Isaiah's day who would live to see their great-grandchildren, much less their great-great-grandchildren. It's common for us today, but it was very uncommon then. Folks, we are in a life and death battle for the truth of God. It is happening in the world and it is escalating at a pace that I could have never anticipated just a few months ago. The attack against the truth of God is real. It is being orchestrated. I don't care about conspiracy theories. I don't care about who the human agency is that's putting it on because I, don't, I have never yet met anybody who has the mind and the resources to put this all together on a global scale the way that we're seeing it unfold right now. I stand by my assessment. This is the devil himself 
who is leading this and working this out as a full bore attack against the truth of God and those who hold it. The world around us is speaking lies. They rush headlong into lawlessness. Many of them claim to fear God, but they don't. And they're falling right in line with the lawless one and the lawlessness. He promotes it. It is the mystery of iniquity. Does this mean, Brother Richard, are you telling us that, you know, Jesus can come at any time? Well, yes, I am telling you that. As a matter of fact, I've been telling you that for, uh, not y'all, I've been telling y'all that for five years. I've been preaching that for 40 plus years now. That Jesus could come at any time and I preach it because I believe it and the Bible says it. Yes, it could mean that Jesus is coming and it could be very quickly. But I'm not, I can't tell you that Jesus is going to come next week. I hope he does. Uh, but, but I can't tell you that. I can't tell you he'll come within four years, five years, ten years, seven years. I don't know. But I can tell you what I do know. I know that the rapture has not happened yet. If that trumpet would have sounded, folk, I would have heard it. And I'd have been gone and I wouldn't be here. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm, I'm still active and working. We haven't gone out with the shout and that means that God has us where he wants us. And until that rapture happens, then we have this covenant promise of God that we can live out in our life. And that promise is, you speak my truth and you don't stop speaking my truth. I'll put the words in your mouth. You spread it around to others. Make sure that your children get it. Make sure your grandchildren get it. We need to be very careful that what we're giving our children is not a spirit of rebellion and resistance. We can do that real easy. Well, they can't make me do nothing. I'll do what I want. You speak that to your children, don't be surprised when they speak it back to you. And you're not going to like it when they do. The Bible says that rebellion is as a spirit of witchcraft. We have to be careful with the spirit of rebellion. This is a time for us as God's people to make sure we are speaking the truth of God's Word. Speaking it to our children, to our grandchildren. Speaking it in the world around us because they desperately need to hear it. We have a twofold message, and it's plainly identified for us in Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah said in verse 20, The Redeemer shall come to Zion. And the only difference between what Isaiah said then and what we say now is that our Redeemer has already come to Zion. Amen? He's already lived and lived a sinless life, and he died a substitutionary death on the cross. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day so that our message today is that my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. And because my Redeemer lives, then we have the second part of that redemptive message, and that is my redemption draweth nigh. Jesus said, when you see these things, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. What a message we have. 
<laughs> to proclaim in this world. God responds. God sees and God responds when truth is falling in the streets. When truth fails, when that is when truth can't be found. We're going to have to admit the reality of the situation we see in America. And that is that if God's word was flourishing the way that it should be flourishing, things would not be happening the way they're happening in this country. We have raised up multiple generations of people not personally, I'm not indicting all of you folks. I'm just talking about our nation. We have raised up multiple generations of people who don't know God, though they talk about him. They don't know God's word. They don't have God's truth. What they desperately need is the truth of God. We have to learn it. We have to speak it. It may not seem like much, but I want to remind you, God sent Jeremiah out looking for one man. One man, one woman, one person can make a difference. It would have saved the whole city of Jerusalem from ruin. One person, just one, can make a difference. You have a sphere of influence. It may be small or it may be great, but you have one. Use it. Use it to speak the truth of God. Oh, but people don't like it when you put that Bible out there. Put it out there anyway. All they can do is unfriend you. Oh, my. Oh. We won't be Facebook friends anymore. I just don't know if I can bear it. <laughs> put the Word of God out there. It's powerful. It finds a niche in the hearts of people. And you never know how God is going to use it. I have been convicted this week by the fact that what maybe the enemy has intended for bad has actually done a lot of good. Though our internet's down this morning. I just, that was kind of coincidental. I just... Couldn't help but think, you know, don't normally I, I preach to a lot more on Sunday morning than I used to. They thought they were shutting us down. Well, <laughs> take that, devil. We're preaching to a lot more now than we used to. And that's not only true of our church. It's true of thousands of churches across this country. We have no idea how God is going to use it. You see, I'm not sure that God's people or God's churches have any idea how strategic we really are. But the devil knows. The devil knows how powerful his churches are, how important we are. He knows who his enemy is, whether we know who ours is or not. But I hope today, as a result of this message, we can all go out of here with a better awareness of what's going on. We're facing the lawless one. His opposition is against the truth of God. God raises up a standard against it in the power of his spirit. And that standard is a people who speak his truth and who will not be silenced. Let's be those men 
Let's be those women. Let's be those young people. Let's be those students when we go back to school. Let's speak the word of God. Let's stand together, please.